couple of thoughts that I want to impress on your mind, a couple of scriptures that I want to present to you as we begin this morning because I want to get your thoughts in a certain area. First one is a scripture that <clears throat> I guess if you've ever heard me speak very often, you know it's probably one of my favorite scriptures. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. You all know it very well. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And you might think, that's a strange scripture to be your favorite. Well, the reason it's my favorite is because I need to be reminded of this very often. Because if I'm not, I get to thinking, well, that doesn't seem quite right. That's, that's not how I would do things. So I need to be reminded that God's thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. Another scripture I'd like for you to consider for a few moments is Matthew 23, verse 1 through 12. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees sat in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. Now, that's not the way we really look at things today, is it? He says there in the end, for they say and do not. We call that not practicing what you preach. Dads have long been accused of saying, do what I say, not what I do. But in our society anymore, we don't look on that very favorably. And we say, well, if you're not going to do what you say, then I don't have any reason to listen to you. You don't have any credibility with me. But I want you to notice what Jesus said here. He said, these scribes and Pharisees said in Moses' seat, they know the law. They know what the law is. So whatever they tell you is from the law, and you need to do that. You need to observe that and do that. It doesn't matter even if they don't do it. You need to do it. That's a little different from the way we react today, isn't it? Just because somebody may tell us the truth and then they don't do the truth, we say, well, we don't have to listen to that. We don't have to believe you. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you do it. If it's the truth, you do it, no matter where you hear it from. And he goes on to tell you a little bit more about their problem. He says, for they are bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. <clears throat> He says, but all their works they do for to see, be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. But they will not <clears throat> and love the uppermost rooms in the feast and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called rabbi, rabbi. But be ye not called rabbi. Now I want you to remember one of these, these words here this morning. Rabbi, Rabbi. This is not what we're going to talk about, but it has a bearing, a very distinct bearing on what we are going to talk about a little while this morning. The word Rabbi in the Hebrew means my master, that is Rabbi, an official title of honor. So it's a title of honor. Now that doesn't tell us a lot, but Thayer in his lexicon said Rabbi is a title used by the Jews to address their teachers. So the word rabbi was used to basically say a master teacher. 
Someone that knows the law and teaches the law. Now I want you to keep that in mind, in the back of your mind as we go on this morning. And then he finishes up in verse 9 and says, Call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Kind of a backwards way of looking at things, wouldn't you say? That's not exactly how we look at things today. The fact that the greatest will be the servant, and if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted, but if you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. That's not exactly how we look at things today. This morning, I want to talk to you about three stories. Each of these stories, we're going to find a word. It's the same word. The word is only used in the book of Matthew. Matthew uses it three times. In fact, in the whole New Testament, it's only used three times. The title of our sermon this morning is The Friend. I guess you could say the word is friend. That's it. Sorry to disappoint you. That's all there is. It's just friend. Now you may be saying, I know that friend is used more than three times in the New Testament. And you're right. It is. But the interesting thing about the word friend is our word friend is translated from two different Greek words. The first is heteros, companion, comrade, friend. The second that you find more of is philos, properly a dear, that is a friend, actively fond, that is friendly. Now, on the surface, those don't look very different, really. If you look closely, maybe you've seen very minor differences there. The word we want to talk about today, the word that Matthew only uses three times and the whole New Testament uses three times is the first one, hetaros. It's the one we want to consider this morning. Now, if you'd like to turn to Matthew, the 20th chapter, uh, I don't have these, all of these scriptures up here on the board. You'll recognize these stories. They're old stories. Uh, one is a parable. The first is a par parable. Uh, Matthew is the only one that tells this parable. The second is also a parable. It's found in Luke chapter 14, but Luke tells it differently than the way Matthew tells it. And Luke leaves off the ending, which is crucial to our study this morning. The third is a Matthew's account of a, a situation with Jesus and the 12 apostles that pretty much all of the gospel writers tell, but only Matthew tells it this way. Beginning in Matthew 20 and verse 1, For the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to find laborers for his vineyard. So we have a, a vineyard owner here, a householder, and he needs some people to work for him. So he goes into the market, and he finds some people there not doing anything. He says, do you want to work? I need some grapes picked or weeds pulled or whatever you do in a vineyard. And he said, I'll pay you $200 a day. Now, 
If you know the story, you know that Jesus didn't say $200 a day. What he did say was a penny. But that's not a penny like we think of a penny today. That's, that's not a copper penny like a U.S. mint penny. That was a silver corn coin called a denarian. It's a Roman coin. By definition, the denarian had a value of about 10 donkeys up until 217 B.C. After 217 B.C., the value was raised to about 16 donkeys. But we know from this parable that a denarian had about the same value of a day's labor. So today, in our, in our world today, if you work 12 hours at $15, $20 an hour, that's about $200. There's a lot of us would work for that. Not many of us would work for a copper penny for a day. But that's what they, weren't, they were being asked to do. They were, they were being asked to work for a fair wage, and that's what they said. They said, that sounds fair. Sounds like a good, good day's pay. We'll do that. Now, early in the morning was daylight, about 6 o'clock in the morning, also known as the first hour of the day. So these men go to work, and again, the vineyard owner goes out about the third hour of the day, or 9 o'clock in the morning, and finds some other people. He said, do you want to work? He said, you can go to work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you what's right. Now, are you going to take that job, Britt? I mean, this guy may think what's right is $5. I don't, I don't know. But they say... We'll, we'll do that. So that speaks to this man, the fact that he probably had a reputation for being a fair man and paying a fair day's wage. The Bible says he goes out again at the 6 o'clock hour, which would be 12 noon, and the, and the three, third hour of the day, which would be 3 p.m., or the ninth hour of the day, excuse me, which would be 3 p.m., and uh, does the same thing, finds more people, makes them the same offer. He goes out at the fifth, uh, 11th hour of the day, which would be 5 o'clock in the evening. Now this is just about an hour before they shut down for the day. And he finds more guys standing around. He says, why are you standing around? And they said, well, nobody will hire us. And he said, I'll hire you, and I'll pay you what's right. Now, the guys that he hired at early in the morning, at 6 o'clock in the morning, probably had some ability to negotiate their pay. These guys here at 5 o'clock that are only going to work an hour, they'll take whatever they can get. You know, if it's enough money to put a little milk and bread on the table for supper, well, that's better than what we had. And so they go and work. Now it's about 6 o'clock in the evening, and the vineyard owner tells his manager, he says, go pay, pay up. Go settle up with these guys. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to pay the guys I hired last first and work your way backwards to the ones I hired early this morning. And so he does. And he comes to the ones that have just worked an hour and he pays them 200 bucks. That's not what we expected. That's, that's a good deal. They're excited. You know who else is excited? The guys he hired at 6 o'clock in the morning. Because if those guys worked one hour and got 200 bucks, what are we going to get? 200 bucks. Same thing. 
wait, what? Is that fair? Doesn't seem fair to us, does it? Seem fair to you? That's what they thought. Doesn't seem fair to them either. And they received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal to us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. We worked all day long in the heat, and you're paying those guys the same amount you're paying us. What's right about that? Now, the vineyard owner answered one of them and said, Friend, Hetaros. Friend, I think it's fair. Did you not agree with me to work for a certain sum of money? Well, yeah, but do you not have that sum of money in your hand? Well, yeah, but it's still not fair. Take that design and go thy way. I will give unto the last, even as unto the first. Now here, look at this. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Are you just mad because I'm generous to someone other than you? See, that's what he's saying. You see, this friend didn't care about the vineyard owner. He didn't care about his family. He didn't care about the vineyard. He didn't care about the other workers that are working in the vineyard. He didn't care about the fact that they might be suffering financially more than he was. He wanted what he could get out of a day's labor. And he wanted the maximum he could get out of the day's work. He didn't care about anyone else other than himself. Now, this is not advice for how to run a business. You can ask anybody that runs a business, and if you got, hire a guy to work for a certain sum, and he works all day, and you hire a guy at the end of the day to take out the trash maybe and lock up, and you pay them both the same, that's not going to work out very well for you, is it? You're not going to be in business very long. But we're not talking about that. The first verse told us that. The kingdom of heaven is likened to. And we're not talking about heaven as a place here. We're talking about the kingdom of God. The rule of God, if you will. The church. This story that was about to be told is like the kingdom of God. The church. The rule of God. And in the rule of God, under the rule of God, things are looked at a little differently. They're not looked at exactly how we see them. Yeah, but it still doesn't seem fair. In 2005, I was blessed to be a part of a gospel meeting in McMinnville, Tennessee. And the meeting started on a Sunday, so after services Sunday morning, Mark Parkhurst grabs me and says, hey, go with me. We're going down to the hospital. There's a guy I've been studying with down there, and I think we can baptize him. And I said, cool, let's go. And some others went with us as well. And we get down there, and there's a little old man in the hospital. I don't know how old he is. He's probably not as old as he looks because he weighs about 90 pounds. Cancers eat him to the bone. And we talked with him about being forgiven and that God would do that and wash away his sins and, and forgive him of everything he'd done wrong in his life. And 
that appealed to him that he wanted to do that. But he was concerned. He said, man, I've just wasted my life. I could have done so many things for the Lord, and I've just wasted my life. I've done nothing. We talked to him a little bit about that, and we said, would you, would you like to have your sins washed away? He said, yes, I would. So we found a nurse and told them what we needed. We asked them if they had a tub of any kind that was big enough to submerge a, a person in. And bless their heart, they could have said, you know, I don't think that's a good idea or we, we don't have time to mess with that right now. But they didn't do that. They found us a portable whirlpool about four feet long, about three feet deep, and about two and a half feet wide. And we said, you know what, we think we can make that work. And so we baptized him, and that's an interesting story in itself that I'll tell you sometime, but uh, we got it done. We got him dried off and got his clothes changed, got him back in his bed and got him comfortable again. He was still concerned about the fact that he had wasted his life, and he said, here I am in this hospital bed, and I can't do anything for God. There's nothing I can do. I'm probably never getting out of this hospital. And in fact, I don't think he ever did get out of that hospital. But he said, there's nothing I can do. And Mark leaned over and told him this parable. The eyes got big. A little bit of the worry drained away from the face. A little smile crept across the lips. You think it's still not fair? Well, I didn't know we was talking about that. The kingdom of heaven is like that. That's what we're talking about. That's exactly what we're talking about. God sees things differently than we do. God sees everyone equal when we don't think that's fair necessarily. And we ought to be thankful for that. The friend didn't care about other people. The friend didn't care about the vineyard owner. The friend didn't care about the vineyard. He just wanted the money. You see what the gospel is trying to tell us? <clears throat> Matthew 22, and beginning in verse 1. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king which made a marriage... For his son. We don't have kings in the United States today, although we got some people that think they are and a few people that would like to be, but we don't have any kings in this country. So we'll call him an exceedingly rich guy. And this exceedingly rich guy was preparing a marriage feast for his son. And he sent out the invitations by mail. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I don't know how he sent them out. I guess his assistant sent them out. A few days later, the assistant comes in and says, Hey, bad news. Nobody wants to come. Nobody's RSVP. Did you tell them it was for my son? Yeah. Did you tell them it's, everything's paid for? They're not going to have to pay anything. It, this is going to be a party that they don't want to miss. Yeah, I told him that. 
He said, I tell you what, you go back and you tell them that we're going to have barrels and barrels of wine. We're going to have a five-star chef catering this event. We're going to have Beyonce and Lady Gaga entertaining. Well, maybe for me it ought to be the Oak Ridge boys, but anyway, we're going to have good entertainers by the world standard. This is a party they don't want to miss. This is going to be great. This may be a once-in-a-lifetime event. He says, okay. So he goes back and he spreads the word. Some of them, one of them says, yeah, man, I got to work. I can't get off right now. Another one says, I got a business to run. I can't be bothered with, with an event like that right now. Another one says, we got family coming in. It's just not a good time for us. And still others slam the door in his face and treat him rudely. In fact, some treat him so spitefully and so rudely that I'll say he quit. Now, Jesus said they treated him so spitefully and rudely they killed him. But I couldn't figure out anything parallel with that, so I'll just say he quit. So this rich man hired another assistant, and he said, I tell you what, nobody that I invited is going to taste of my supper. All invitations are revoked as of right now. I want you to go out into the highway, on the street, on the intersection, out on the interstate if you have to, and I want you to grab everybody you can find. I don't care if they're foreign. I don't care if they're a citizen. I don't care if they're a criminal. I don't care if they're homeless. I don't care. You just get this house filled. He says, okay. And he, and he does. And he's successful. The house is filled. And you, can tell, you know the sound of a full house. And this rich man's up in his bedroom getting ready, and he knows the sound of a full house too. And this house is shaking. So he comes out and he looks over the railing, and the entertainers are entertaining Everybody's eating, having a good time, except for that guy back over in the corner, and he's not wearing a suit and tie. So he goes down. He walks up to the guy, and he says, Friend, Hetaros, friend, why are you dressed like that? The Bible says he was speechless. He didn't have anything to say. Okay. Security. Throw this guy into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, boy, that seems harsh. I mean, probably the ACLU and the news media and politicians are going to hold news conferences and this is going to be a mess because this is not right. You don't treat people like that. You just grab this guy off the street and you expect him to be a certain way. Read the story. You know the story. You also know that nobody else was booted out of there for the way they were dressed. I submit to you this guy knew exactly how he was supposed to be dressed, and he didn't care. He didn't care. He wasn't there for the rich man. He wasn't there for the family. He wasn't there out of respect and love. He was there for the wine, the food, and the entertainment. That's what he was there for. He didn't care about anything else. 
He was just a friend for a day. You may say, well, what's that got to do with us? Galatians 3 and 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We are expected to be clothed in a certain way. We're expected to be clothed with Christ. We're expected to put on the characteristics of Christ. To be like Christ. That's what Christians are supposed to be. This friend didn't care about any of that. It wasn't his concern. His concern was worldly things and having a good time. <clears throat> Final story, just a short story leading up to it, in Matthew 26, beginning in about verse 20. The apostles have prepared for the Passover with Jesus. Jesus has told them what he expects, where he expects to have it, and gave them, gave them the instructions for that, and they've set, set up for the, for the Passover. And now they're eating the Passover. And they're sitting down or reclining or whatever they're doing. And, and they're probably feeling pretty good. They're around friends. They're with Jesus. And they're doing what God has commanded them to do. So they're probably feeling pretty good about things. When Jesus, to use an a example that our Matthew, Matthew Huff would use, reached over and dropped a grenade right in the middle of the table. He said, one of you guys is going to stab me in the back. Now how quiet do you think that room got? But when they were able to collect their self a little bit, they began to ask a question. Lord, is it I? Now that's an interesting phrase. We know what the word Lord means, but I mean we know we know who it is used for, who we address with it. But do you really know what it means? It's very interesting. Kurios, supreme and authority, that is controller. That gives us a little insight to it, but Thayer in his definition says, he to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has power of deciding. Master, Lord, the possessor and disposer of a thing. So in light of that, what were these guys saying when they said, Lord is a die? They're saying, Creator? The one who controls us? The one who owns us? The one we have submitted to? Is it me? That, that's a pretty big deal. Now Judas is sitting over in a corner somewhere and he's put it off as long as he can. He's already made a deal with the Pharisees to betray Jesus. But nobody else knows. And he realizes that every other person, every other apostle has asked this question except him. And if he doesn't ask it, they're going to know if they don't know already. So he finally gets his courage together and he says, Master, is it me? A little bit different. 
He doesn't say, he did, Matthew says he doesn't use the word Lord. You know what master is? Rabbi. Same word. Teacher? Is it me? See the difference? Judas had the same opportunities the rest of the apostles did. But I don't believe he recognized Jesus as his controller, as his creator, as the one who ruled over him, as the others did. Now I want you to know that we're going to see this word one more time. <clears throat> now, Jesus has instituted the Lord's Supper. And he's foretold about Peter's denial of him. And he tells the rest of the guys, says, you, you wait here, I'm going to go into the Garden of Gethsemane and pray. And he takes Peter and James and John with him. And he goes a little ways and he tells them what's going on. He tells them how he's suffering because of what he knows is about to happen. He says, it's about to kill me. You guys stay here and watch my back. Watch for me. I'm going to go up here about as far as you can throw a rock and I'm going to pray to the Father because I need strength. And so he does. And the description in the Bible is far better than I could describe about how he pours his heart out to the Father and his need for strength in this time because he knows what's coming. And I think he already knows that there's no way around it, even though he asks if there's any other way around it, any other thing we can do. But he's just needing strength. And he goes back, and Peter and James and John are asleep. Come on, guys. Can't you, can't you watch with me for a few minutes? And he goes back, and he prays again. He comes back and they're asleep again. Just stay asleep. You're, you're going to need your strength for what's coming. So he goes back one more time and he prays. And as he lifts up his eyes, he sees a mob of humanity off in the distance moving toward him. Maybe he sees the torches light their way. So he goes back and he says, get up. It's time, time to wake up. We got to go. By then, the mob is there. And I picture Jesus being kind of a step or two in front of Peter and James and John. And, and maybe Judas is on the front end of the mob that he's with. And they, they come together, and Judas says, Hey, Rabbi. Jesus says, Hey, friend. Hey, friend. Hey, one that traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles with us, but never really was one of us. Whatever you're going to do, get on with it. Because it's about you now. You've made your decision. You've set in motion circumstances that can't be undone. It's about you now. Now, I think Matthew is giving us a little bit of insight to Judas that 
maybe none of the other gospel writers give. We don't know a lot about Judas. John says a couple of things about him. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he shows up and he, he's chosen to be an apostle. And then we don't see him again until at the Passover feast or here at the betrayal. But I think there's some things about Judas. I don't think that God chose Judas to be an apostle just for the purpose of him betraying Jesus. I don't think that's why he was chosen. I think he exhibited characteristics and traits that made him qualified to be an apostle. But he never understood the ways of the master. He thought things should be done a different way. He didn't want to submit to the master. He didn't want him to be the Lord of his life. He wanted things to be done a different way. In essence, he wanted to participate, but he wanted to do it under his own terms and not Jesus' terms. Does that sound familiar to you? Because it does to me. He wants to be involved, but he wants to be involved according to what he thinks is right. There are plenty of people in the world today, in my opinion, that want to be called Christians, consider themselves to be Christians, but don't want to be followers. Because being a follower means you've got to submit to this kingdom of God, this rule of God idea. And... Well, let's face it, we don't want to submit to anyone. It means to being devoted to God instead of being devoted to your own wishes. Unfortunately, when you're devoted to God, things don't always seem fair, do they? Things don't always, things are not always like we want them to be. Things are not always easy and they most definitely are not always convenient. We must deal with those who hurt us. Christians are expected to deal with those who hurt us by forgiving them. Christians are expected to refrain from sinful situations that the world says, it's okay. It's even fun. We're expected to speak to people in a respectful manner or refrain from speaking to them in a disrespectful manner if they disagree with us when the world says, well, if they disagree with you, they deserve to be spoke to in a disrespectful manner. Christians are not to do that. We must try as Christians to lift up the broken when the world says, leave them behind. It's not worth your time. But all too often, we're like the friend. And we're worried about us. We're not worried about others. And we don't think God's ways fair because God's ways is not like our ways. We like the idea, but when it comes to how it affects us, well, that's a different story. I would say we have a pride problem in this world today. When we wrong somebody, 
sometimes we say, well, they're just too sensitive. They need to get over it. They need to harden up a little bit. But when it comes to a brother or sister uh, doing something to us, our friend, well, then forgiveness is out of the question. It's just too hard. It's too difficult. The friend of the master is one who thinks things should always be fair and make sense. But to us, God's way is not always fair and doesn't always make sense. It's not always the same as ours. The friend thinks God's ways don't always work in this modern culture because it's too old and it's backwards and it's not the way we see things today. Jesus didn't want a friend. He wanted a follower. He wants family. He wants someone that loves and respects him because of who he is and because of the promises that he is able to deliver. He wants someone who tries to live their life as he did and is willing to submit to his will. He wants someone who will hear what he has to say. He wants someone who will believe what they hear. He wants someone who will repent of the way they've lived their life and try to change to a better way of living life. He wants someone who will confess him before men and not be ashamed of him. He is, wants someone who is willing to clothe themselves in spiritual clothing by being baptized and putting on Christ. And he wants someone who will faithfully follow him the rest of their life. Proverbs 18.24 says, There is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. That is not hetairos. That's someone who wants to be there. Someone who wants the best thing for you. That's what Jesus has been to us. And that's what he wants us to be to him. We sing a song, I'll be a friend to Jesus. It's in this book that we have now. If you've seen that whole song, you'll know that it's talking about philos. It's not talking about heteros. But when you begin singing that song, I'll be a friend of Jesus, you're defining yourself as one or the other. Which is it? Someone who wants their own desires? Someone who wants what's best for them? Or someone who wants what's best for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a master who's prepared a table. He's prepared this table for people that do not deserve it. Sound familiar? And he said, I've made a way for you to be a part of my family. I've made a way for you to have a seat at my table. And whether it's that you need to be clothed in Christ and put on Christ, or whether you have put on Christ and you've went back to your sinful way, or you have problems, you're having problems being faithful, and you need prayers. He says, I've made a way 
I've made this way because you couldn't do it for yourself. You don't have the ability to do it for yourself. And if you'll accept his invitation and do what he asks you to do and do the will of God and not your own will, you can come and join him here as we stand and sing.